a lot of people sit here and look at ADHD and they're like, oh, well, you're damaged goods. We're not. We're just different. Our brains work differently. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit adhdessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Just a reminder, this Monday, November 7th, I am part of two virtual summits. In the Putting Mama First Summit, I will be talking about why setting boundaries is such a critical part of self-care, and also how to go about doing it. Also on Monday the 7th, I will be part of the See Beyond ADHD Summit. This one is more of a free-ranging interview, where I talk about everything from the foundations of ADHD management, why we should give ourselves more credit, working from home, and navigating parenting. And on November 17th, I'll be at the International Conference for ADHD in Texas, where I will share a workshop for ADHD professionals on how to be a good podcast guest. Then on the 18th, I will still be at that conference in Dallas, and I'll be hosting a panel of ADHD influencers, including Jessica McCabe, Renee Brooks, John Hazelwood, and Danny Donovan. I'd love to see you at any of these events, and if you happen to be at the conference in person, please say hello to me and mention that you're a fan of the show. I will be wearing ADHD Essentials branded gear most of the time. Also, I'm probably shorter, rounder, and older than you picture me. Also, don't forget to check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, and ADHD Diversified with MJ. Finally, if you want to support this show, a great way to do so is by providing a rating and review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice. Of course, those five-star ratings are the ones that help the most when it comes to that algorithmic magic. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Shane Thrapp of Creating Order from Chaos. Shane is an ADHD coach who sits on the board for the Inattentive ADHD Coalition and moderates the largest men's ADHD group on Facebook. Shane shares his ADHD diagnosis story and the role his son played in it. He also talks about his parenting journey, the way that our parents, for good or ill, set the bar for us as parents, and why owning our mistakes can be so incredibly hard and incredibly important. He discusses his involvement with both the men's ADHD support group on Facebook and how they help their members move beyond toxic behaviors so they can have healthy, supportive interactions. And he also discusses the Inattentive ADHD Coalition, which seeks to help raise awareness of inattentive ADHD. All right, let's get rolling. So I was in a really bad uh, marriage, and it was really abusive, but I had two amazing kids coming from it. And my ex-wife was super like anti-mental health. She didn't think it was a big deal and all of those things. A few years after our divorce, though, 
you know, I'd really been trying to be a part of my kid's life and everything, but they still dealt with that trauma of the, the divorce and things. One of the teachers came to us and they said, you know, we're fairly certain your son has ADHD. And I said, well, uh, okay, that's interesting. Um, can you tell me about, a little bit about ADHD? And of course, she kind of goes into the little spiel that they talk about. And of course, my ex-wife was just like, eh, whatever, you know, he'll deal with it. But I was like, I got to be there for him. And so I started learning everything I could about ADHD at that point. The more I kept learning about it, the more I started going, oh, well, I um." There's a lot of things here that I have that that uh, that people with ADHD deal with, like you know, bouncing from job to job, and and you know, bouncing from relationship to relationship, hobby uh, bouncing, and all of those different things, and various social things that were just kind of off, you know, always feeling like the weird person, you know, outside of things. And the more I started really getting into it, the more I started really getting into it. Like it became this like serious hyper focus. And as it was, I was also teaching my son. And we were having these amazing conversations and I was like, Hey, you know, you know, this is, you know, this, these are some of the things that I learned that we could do. And the more I started learning about it, I, you know, was just really just like into it. And I had recently started dating my current wife and she's a special needs teacher. And after a while, I just really accepted, I, I'm fairly certain I have ADHD. And I, I went to her and I said, you know, Hey baby, I think I have ADHD. And she was like, Oh honey, you didn't know. I was like, no, I didn't know. Did you know? And she was like, yeah, I knew it as soon as I saw your dating profile. And I'm like, did you start dating me because I have ADHD? She was like, not necessarily. And I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. And she was like, no, it, it's okay, sweetie. I love you. <laughs> but that was my journey. That was like, that was like the learning of, of how that worked. And, and when was this? Like, what, what year is it? How old is the kid? Talk, that kind of um, stuff. He was 10. I was mm -hmm. 30. Or thirty, yeah, thirty. Well, almost ten. He was, uh, he was like nine or so, um, turning ten, and I was thirty. And I'm sitting there, just like, like, what do I do with this? And of course, like, she's like, well, you gotta get diagnosed, and that's a whole other journey all on, on on its own. But trying to show my son like the different things, recognizing like his emotional dysregulation issues, because he was dealing with all that trauma from the divorce and the toxic family that we had developing at an early age and then like he's getting one story from his ex-wife he's getting another story from me and i'm trying to be as honest with him as possible but also like teaching him boundaries and teaching him how to like critically think about things how to like really start to understand when he started feeling like really overwhelmed how to like recognize those triggers and kind of take steps back and being okay with him saying dad i need a break right mm -hmm. i'm really overwhelmed i need a break how far back is this? What year? 2010 and 2011, okay. 2012. I'm 40 now. Um, it was really frustrating uh, a lot of times because I would get, like, my emotions would lose their, you know, their mind every now and then. And I was dealing with the frustration. And I kept trying to get seen by a psychiatrist and start getting, work, getting to work on this. But the first psychiatrist I went to said, oh, no, you have depression adult ADHD isn't a thing. You grow out of it. And I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. Yeah, it's not. Right. And I was like, I, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist though. So I wasn't, I, I had that, you know, the imposter syndrome. I like, I've been studying this for a couple of years now. I'm fairly certain you don't grow out of it, but I don't want to argue with a person who literally went to school for this stuff. And I, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I said, okay, I'll get a second opinion because I tried, you know, medications and stuff like that. I tried like a year of depression medications, which is what they, you know, diagnosed me with. 
went to a second doctor and then because I was on depression medications, I'd had hypermanic episodes. And so I told him like what I was dealing with and he's like, Oh no, you have bipolar disorder. And I'm like, no, man, I'm fairly certain I have ADHD. He's like, no, nah, that's not what you're describing to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And that's another misdiagnosis. Not that depression, not that they have to be misdiagnoses, but often ADHD, you get the, the bipolar. Usually I hear that from women though. I don't often hear it from men. It, it's just because of the, how the medication was making me like react. And of course I was telling them these symptoms I was dealing with. And of course they were leaning on their expertise and when i'm describing the symptoms of like i'm I'm down sometimes but every now and then i'm like dealing with hypermania and like like i'm, I'm like, like like really irritable sometimes and sometimes and like i'm describing bipolar disorder to him because i didn't know to go in and say i need to be tested for adhd which is what i did finally i went to a third one and this is when i'm 34 so six years ago i went to a uh my an, another psychiatrist after having a mental breakdown and I said, I'm, I'm fairly certain I have ADHD. Can you please get me tested? And she's like, cool. You know, and so she, we sat down and she started do, doing a little questionnaire to kind of the pre-interview questionnaire. And as we're going through the pre-interview questionnaire and she finishes up, she goes, you know, we're going to go ahead and do another one real quick. And so she pulls out another piece of paper and she starts going through and asking me a bunch of questions on that one. And as she does, like, I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is just like clarifying. Mm-hmm. Come to find out it was a test for autism. She was like, I'm fairly certain you have ADHD. That's a, that's, a, that's a given. But I'm also pretty sure you have autism. And I'm like, what? Right? <laughs> like, I was like, what yeah, are you cousins, that <laughs> Right. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I have a certain view of autism because of prejudice and, and, and you know, ignorance and stuff like that. And I'm like, I, no, I don't. She goes, no, you have high functioning. I'm fairly certain. And she described Asperger's syndrome to me. And, of course, she used those terms because that's what they used at the time. We're not supposed to now. So then she, she sent me off and I got, you know, I had, um, I had to do a psychotherapist, um, uh, testing and interview. And then the massive number of questionnaires that they ask you to do. And my wife had to do them. And of course, like, as we're going through it and I'm like, oh, yeah, you have ADHD and you have high functioning autism pretty severely as they tell me that. And I sit here and I'm, and I've started learning about, uh, high functioning autism. Everything made sense. Right. Cause I'd been a project manager before this, right. I'd been a business manager. I'd you know, owned my own companies and all these other things. And like, everyone's like, well, how can you own all your companies and run project management and all that stuff, all that organized structured things. And you have ADHD. And I'm like, because autism loves routine structure, organization, cleanliness. And so like, I would be able to balance the two by accident. I was balancing the two and, and, and making a life of it. And now, of course, my personal life was utter trash, but professionally speaking, I was able to take advantage of these things. And so that's what kind of like happened. That's how that little whole system kind of came to be and understanding. And through this entire thing, my son is learning along with me. Now he didn't have autism, but he did have ADHD. And, but we were able to kind of figure these things out together and, 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 and develop a, an understanding of it. Super stressful. We bumped, we bumped heads a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like he would have a moment. I would have a moment. We would bounce off each other's negativity. And like, we both have RSD moments, rejection sensitivity moments where I was trying to be a good dad, but I was doing, I was being overbearing and he was trying to do what I was asking him to do, but I was, you know, he was overwhelmed and you know, there was a lot of that. That's hard stuff. I, I encountered that recently with one of my kids who is struggling. That's about all I get to say about that because it's his story, not mine. He might come on the show at some point if he chooses to. 
you all will hear that story, ladies and gentlemen. But until he makes that choice, this is as far as I go with information on those details. But we had a day where I was banging heads with them. Now, I run parent coaching groups, so I am more skilled in these areas than the layman. And then the typical ADHD coach, right? Because they're not all doing parenting stuff. And we were banging heads and it was a uniquely rough headbang. And I was like, this is not the dad I want to be. I don't want to do this. And I literally went through the slides from my parent groups in my head and came to everyone is doing the best they can. Everyone wants to do well. Your kids want to please you. And I'm like, that kid is doing the best he can. And he's not meeting my expectations. And that means my expectations are too high. So I need to change them. And then after I made that realization, things changed. Our relationship got much better. We're buds again. Not that we weren't buds then. It was more like, we're buds. Why are we banging heads was kind of our situation. But we haven't banged heads since. So, And it's because I had to change. He didn't. That was a lesson I had to learn from my my wife. You know, she's a special needs teacher, like I mentioned earlier. And like, there's a lot of times when I would ha be having these like seriously emotional moments where I was like wanting him just to do the thing, right? My bar for fatherhood was set real low by my dad, right? He was alcoholic abuser, like horrifyingly bad father. And so I was like, as long as I don't beat my kids' asses, I'm okay, right? Uh, that's the bar I'm setting here. Right. And, uh, you know, but my, my wife, she really started teaching me about positive parenting and how to use those skills and how to give your kid that environment that they need and, and how to communicate with them and how behaviors and what those behaviors are and like how to start learning to speak their languages and at every level of that. And she understood it and she would teach me. And that's where all of my understanding as a parent comes from is my current wife. And she, she's just been a rock for me for 10 years and Monday is our anniversary. <laughs> 10 oh, year congratulations. Anniversary. That's yeah. awesome. So super happy about that. 10 years with ADHD is a big deal. That's nothing to sneeze at. ADHD marriages struggle, as you know. So 10 years is a big, a big deal. It's been a journey. Yeah. And that the special education piece, another thing that she may or may not have said out loud, is a major piece of special education philosophy is meeting kids where they are. Right. So she's doing that with your kid. And I know to do that, right? Because I've been a special ed teacher. I've been a guidance counselor. I know that philosophy. I just, my kid was struggling and I was like, ah, do this thing. Like yesterday you were able to do it. Why can't you do it today? And I know ADHD is nothing if not inconsistent. Like, and his, he's got ADHD, but there's other stuff going on too. It's that anxiety piece from COVID. And, and I, I hear you. It's just like, ah. And then when you're stressed and anxious, we revert back to those lower skills of like, just yell, just be really firm and strict and all that stuff. And it's not the best way to go. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff I had to relearn as far as what it meant to be a good parent. The frustrating part about that is when you do learn the mistakes you made. Like I learned the mistakes I made with my, my oldest kids, my, my son and my daughter from my first marriage. And I had to own those mistakes. And that was actually part of the breakdown that happened was like, I told my kids, I said, I made mistakes. I owe you apologies. These are the things I did that was wrong. Mm -hmm. And as they kind of heard me and understood it, it was like I was validating some of the things that their mom had told them. Mm -hmm. And so that relationship, it really damaged a lot of the re uh, relationship. But I felt a responsibility that I had to explain to them the things that I had done that were wrong and that I was going to be a better dad. I was going to work hard to be a better dad. And we're still kind of recovering to this day. It's still a sore wound and 
things of that nature. I'm sorry that that's, that's still sore. You can only do your best. You know what I mean? Like right. that's what I've had to learn over the, the course of the years. And I don't want to dwell on my mistakes. I want to learn from them. That's the lesson that we don't learn early enough as kids, but I've learned it now. And from here, it's just moving forward every time. Right. And then now I have twin toddlers and I get to start off right with them and learn from them and learn how to be a good father with them and, and, and really nail down a lot of the, the things that I really want to accomplish with them. And then hopefully one day they'll get to be able to spend time with their you know older brothers and sister. As another father of twins, traditionally we twin parents the, the old guard who have the older kids say to the folks who have the toddlers and the infants, it gets easier because it does. <laughs> Having twins is hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm a stay-at-home dad. We got lucky with that one because my my wife was like, um, I had a physical breakdown in 2018 where my body just said, we're done. You know, I didn't listen to it from the breakdown before. I just kept trying to work. And eventually my body just said, no you know, fibromyalgia, back injury, a couple of other different issues that I have to deal with. The stress was too much from the work that I was doing, the management work that I was doing. And then like literally like four months later, we we found out that my wife was pregnant and that, we, and then a month later we found out we we're going to have twins. And that was a fun conversation in the middle of the uh, sonogram room because both me and my wife curse like sailors. <laughs> so we were like, oh shit, there's two of them. And like the, <laughs> the sonogram lady was like, really you didn't know and we're like no we're like a month in how are we supposed to know and she's like oh twins don't run in your family no neither one of us have twins you know and then my wife just said you know what you get to be a stay-at-home dad and she just she was so like matter of fact about it and so supportive and didn't make me feel like a failure as a parent Right, because a lot of stay-at-home dads they feel like they're failing their their family by not working and being the provider. But you know, she just like, Here, all right, we're going to set this up. We're going to put give you all the tools that you need. We're going to make sure that you're in therapy. Make sure you've you've got the medication you need. I get to do what I love doing, which she loves her job, and I got over that that stigma, that that mindset, and I said, okay, cool. I'm going to be a stay-at-home dad. I'm going to be a badass stay-at-home dad. And a house husband, I'm going to do all the chores and all this stuff. I'm going to be that person my wife needed me to be because she's always been the person I needed her to be. It was fortuitous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your story is not that different from mine. I can remember going into the, to get the, the sonogram and my wife, who is a scientist was like, I think I can see the heartbeat. And the nurse says, I see two of them. And my wife goes, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> Only she didn't bleep herself. And because her biggest fear was twins. My wife is five feet tall, oh, maybe a no. hundred pounds soaking wet. Like her biggest fear was twins. And uh, we did IVF and we only put one baby in. The odds of us having twins was really, really slim. So yeah, so we ended up with twins. And I, I was a teacher at the time, so I kept teaching. But eventually my teaching career came to an end. Uh, and I was back in school for guidance counseling. And I was a full-time student, part-time stay-at-home dad, kind of dabbler in ADHD coaching stuff. Mm -hmm. And then slowly that changed into, for a little while, there was a full-time stay-at-home dad dabbler guy. And then eventually I became a full-time ADHD coach, 
work from home dad, but not stay at home dad. And then COVID hit. And it was like, now I'm a work from home dad, homeschool my kids, work from home dad. And then they went back to school and I was a work from home dad. And then my kids started struggling. And all of a sudden I had to move my priorities around to navigate that, which meant I was like not really working full time anymore because I had to kids come home from school and there's lots of stuff I have to mop up. It's hard when you're like, I'm supposed to bring in all the money. And you're like, my wife makes more money than I do. Uh, what do I do with that? How do I handle that? <laughs> yep. I, you know, man, it took me a very long time to get past that. But my wife was so adamant that I was doing a good job. We have that imposter syndrome, right? Like we developed that <laughs> early, early on. But my wife was so adamant that I, you know, I was doing a good job and that I would keep doing a good job and that she would give me the tools that I needed and, you know, and things of that nature. And, and so it was, it's so much more of a partnership between the two of us, like, cause she's a special needs teacher. And so here's a communication board for the kids because my son doesn't like to talk a whole lot. When he gets frustrated, he gets really, really frustrated. I'm learning how to use a communication board and learning how to like add things to it. And it's got Velcro on it because my wife is a special needs teacher and she understands like the need for like expanding boards. So like, it's such a good dynamic between the two of us. I just can't even imagine anything else. Like when I told her I was going to be an ADHD life coach, she was just like, okay, cool. Let's, you know, what does that look like? And I was like, well, you know, I need to do X, Y, Z thing. She goes, cool. There's an ADHD uh, certification course in my school. We, we can get you involved in that and you can get certified actually for ADHD. And I'm like, how much does that cost? And she goes, I'm a teacher. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a, it's a part of our, our resources. And I'm like, nice. Because I, I, I looked at it, right? And like some of those courses are like $6,000, $7,000. Like mm -hmm. you're going back to college essentially. And I'm like, then I get 100 hours with her school of nothing but ADHD and what it is and how it works and all this stuff. And as we're going into it, I'm like, Oh my God, I do that. You know, when we were like learning a new thing, going back to school, you were talking about going, like we get that really nervous feeling. Like, I'm, am I going to mess up like I did in uh, high school or you right. know, when I failed out of college? I like but to call was... that the wall of awful. There you go. I... <laughs> we're going to segue into that one. because. Um, but when I got into it, I knew so much of what we were talking about. Like I understood the brain functioning. I understood the different sections of the brain and the genetic components and all the... As I'm going through it, like I realized that the 10 years that I had been st studying ADHD had fully prepared me for this. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is great. Okay. I'm, I'm prepared for this. And like, it made me feel so good. From there, everything started kind of moving into place. I got uh, involved with uh, Mark Almodovar of the Men's ADHD Support Group on Facebook. And then... Let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's pivot into that a little bit. You connect to Mark. What's what is this men's ADHD group on Facebook? I, I'm a I'm a, a member of it. I signed up recently because we met. If I can sort of sing your praises for a second before I make you talk about the group itself, I've been a member of a number of men's ADHD groups in the past. All of them drove me bananas because all of them were full of men basically saying things like, just be a man and don't care about your kid, just care about their results. Sort of like if your kid's not getting good enough grades, don't let them play hockey and stuff and like yeah. that sort of nonsense. And a lot of like toxic masculinity was going on in there. A lot of like stuff that makes the wall of awful worse and doesn't make the kid feel supported kept getting brought up. I would kind of counter it and get shouted down. And I was mm -hmm. like, all right, well, this community doesn't want to hear what I have to say. So 
I'm a bounce and go somewhere else. And I kind of gave up on men's support groups and dad support groups and that sort of thing. The ones that are focused on men and dads, but yours is great. <laughs> so uh, talk a little bit about what the group is, share the name so people can find it. Talk about what the values are that are going on there. Cause I really want to make sure the, the men listening can, can find this resource. Yeah. I mean, it's literally super simple. Men's ADHD support group. Uh, the creator, Mark Almodovar, he he wanted an environment. He had the same problems as you did. Um, he was much younger, though, and he wanted a, a group that was focused on men with ADHD so that they could go there and, and, and have a safe place to vent. Because men have that problem, right? We have that problem of opening up. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it's a deserved um, um, stigma that when we do open up in a public space, especially on social media, sometimes the way we say things, the way we talk about things comes out really, really crappy. But we're venting, we're, we're venting our frustration. But Mark wanted to create an environment where men could do that, but then also learn how to be healthy with it, how to learn how to provide support for each other and not that toxic masculinity, pull yourself up by your bootstrap kind of mentality, but a mentality where you know, you gave solid advice, you gave solid understanding, you gave solid sympathy and understood where people were coming from. And then like, as he kind of created this, he wanted to have this, you know, this place where like, you could not come in and be crappy to somebody without having a conversation and being educated. And if you weren't willing to take the education, if you weren't open to improving yourself, or at least being a civil human being, then you left the group you weren't going to be a part of the group. And so we've kind of curated this 12,000 member group into a huge, massive resource for men to go to, to talk about how they're dealing, like what kind of issues that they're facing with um, ADHD medications. Now we don't give medical advice, right? We don't do that, but we do talk about our experiences with medications. And we talk about like solid solutions and, and ideas of things that they can do and dangers of certain things with um, ADHD. And then like, you know, men can ask things like, am I supposed to have, you know, erectile dysfunction on Stratera? And then a number of other guys like, yeah, that happens every now and then. I, I have that happen. Da, da, da. Talk to your doctor about it. Make sure that you're, you know, checking with them and make sure that this isn't, a, you know, another issue, another side effect that's causing this. And, you know, maybe you need to switch medications. And then, like, there's some, should I drink while I'm on Adderall? And we're like, no, please don't, <laughs> you know. But we want to educate people. We want to talk about things. But we also want them to be able to vent because that's the biggest problem. They don't have a place to vent where they can just really say the things and get it out of their system. And in doing that, they're able to sit here and have a more civil conversation with their wife when once they've got the frustration out, right? But there's also accountability. Like some guys sit here and talk, come in and they want to talk about, they had this conversation with a girl and they, you know, they, they said this and lashed out, da, 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 da. But then the other guys are going like, hey man, we're, you, it sounds like you just had a really severe RSD moment. Did you know about rejection sensitivity dysphoria? And then like an entire thread of a conversation about that, that then gets mm -hmm. turned into a guide that we provide to the group. It's just a lot of guys learning about ADHD and learning how to be civil towards each other and how to, to communicate and how to build relationships and friendships and career choices and, and how to advocate for themselves. And I'm really proud of it. Yeah, you should be. I've been in there long enough now to know. It's a great resource. It's awesome. 
Um, yeah, and we have a we're we're now expanding it. We have a Discord channel where men can go in and have chat conversations, body doubling, learn about the Pomodoro technique and what that works, and have tools and access to share their hyper focuses, share their ADHD wins, share their ADHD rants. Um, we've got the Twitter following that we're working on. We've got the um, we're working on a YouTube channel, um, and we got an open Facebook page that you can go to, and we've, we're 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 di trying to dive into TikTok, <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, we don't want to overwhelm ourselves too much. But we're we're really trying to expand it out and get the get a, a lot more men to understand the 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 issues that they face, maybe dealing with ADHD. And let's also talk about the inattentive ADHD coalition. Yeah, that's a recent one. Um, a friend of mine, Greg, he. You know, he and I were working on a business project together, and as we were working on it, he was like, man, I think you'd be a great fit for this uh, Inattentive ADHD Coalition board. And I was like, what is this? And he was like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, a project that was put in place by a woman named Cynthia Hammer. She wanted to have a place that really started talking about inattentive ADHD and how often it's missed, you know, in kids and, and women and people of color and other people who deal with it, that it's so often missed that we needed to bring awareness to it. And so... She formed this nonprofit a few years ago, and we've really started working to start educating people on that and what that means and building up a library of knowledge and starting to work on doing interviews and public speaking and, and things of that nature. And they brought me in for, to do a lot of like the business processes, like social media expansion and outreach, and then working on like different things, like working on like the website and um, and just kind of a lot of the business practices that I understand from being a project manager, a nonprofit owner, and things of that mm -hmm. nature in my past. Since we're there, I'm going to put it. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh oh, can you tease out inattentive ADHD versus ADHD for us? Inattentive ADHD is just like it's the the forgetfulness aspect, the the social real like it's a hard time for you to deal with like uh, social uh, circumstances. A lot of women who present uh, present with it are very reserved and they're very kind of like back in the background but you know we forget things we're easily distracted actually i have inattentive adhd that's the that's the version i have which is why i wanted to get into that there is just like this different way of how we process things that makes us seem very kind of like off in the clouds our imagination is going places we're daydreaming a lot and there's a lot of different things that just really you know, we don't show the hyperactive side of things. We're not really very highly impulsive. We we have an easier, I guess, a, I'll say an easier time of things. But at the same time, we can be in the middle of a conversation and completely space out and completely lose track of the conversation, like literally mid-sentence. So a lot of times it's, it's you know, we don't get the, the benefit of being considered intelligent. It just, it makes social interactions very, very hard for us. Sometimes it can seem, and sometimes it actually is the case, that processing speed is not as quick mm -hmm. as neurotypicals, certainly not as someone who's hyperactive. And it's not always true. Sometimes it's just like, I was thinking about what I was thinking about, and then I started thinking about something else entirely, and then I came back to what I was thinking about, but I was gone for five minutes, so it seems like it took a long time for me to get to my point, even though it didn't. And other times there can be a little bit of that longer processing speed. I do need an extra minute or two to get my answer to you or whatever. You know, in a workplace environment, we miss deadlines. If we don't have that firm deadline that's like got 15 alarms on it, 
we're the ones that we procrastinate until that last minute, and then we like slam into it and try to try to finish it as fast as possible. We make a lot of mistakes. We miss a lot of details. And when when bosses are looking at us, we're not very reliable because you know a lot of times like we're late for work. You know, we got up, we started doing a thing, then we started cleaning something, and then we were like, "Oh crap, it's eight fifteen. I have to be at work at eight ten. Oh no!" And like, and we're like rushing out the door, but of course, then we forgot our keys. Uh, now we have to go back and find our keys, but we didn't hang them up where we're supposed to. We put them down in a pair of pants somewhere that may have gotten washed. And so, like, we're all over the house trying to find our keys, and then we, like, when then we figure out they're in our pocket. Oh, it's so much stuff like that. It's just, it's so frustrating. Like, you know, we have a hard time planning out strategies, and we get overwhelmed from the, like the, like the hugeness of the project that we're working on. And a lot of this sounds like ADHD, right? Because it is ADHD. It's just ADHD without that hyperactivity component. You may be less anxious. That part's cool because a lot of the hyperactivity often goes to anxiety. So you got a little bit of a protective factor there. But when you're making so many mistakes, maybe it doesn't matter. The anxiety comes in anyway. And you're less likely to have that like need for physical movement that Mm -hmm. that like bouncing off the wall stuff, zipping from one thing to another. You're still going from one thing to another, but not with the same level of rapidity, not as many in a day, right? Like an ADHD with hyperactivity, you might be doing 20 things in one day. The inattentive person might be going between eight things in one day. We're doing eight things per day, but we're overwhelmed. And so we're freaking out about all eight things at the same time. (laughs) Just being mindful of time. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? A lot of people sit here and look at ADHD and they're like, oh, well, you're damaged goods. And here's the thing. We're not. We're just different. Our brains work differently. Synapses fire off differently. We need different types of of, uh, medications that allow us to have similar executive functions in the rest of the world. But we're not broken or anything. We're who we are. And then once we start accepting who we are, we really need to like really start showing ourselves the self-love. Working with a psychiatrist is super important. Working with a therapist, a cognitive behavioral therapist is really important. We need all of these different aspects of um, ADHD support. But the biggest thing that we need is the support from the people around us, the encouragement, the positive influences, the the accountability, people showing us, you know, that we are worth something, right? Because we grow up and we're just feeling worthless all the time, that we're never good enough, we're never, you know, able to be that expectation that we've put upon ourselves. So having an environment around you of positivity and structured and organization and all of those different things is the super important part. Because if you have that, you can at least function on a regular level. Meds are great. Many, many people need to be on medications if, if, it's, if it's something that you can be on. And therapy is absolutely essential if you have trauma and, and different uh, types of emotional dysregulation issues that you need to learn how to manage and process. But whenever it comes to the practical aspects, if you don't have a really solid positive uh, support system around you and a, a way to learn how to do structured organization, talk to an ADHD life coach and see if we can help you, especially if you have a family that doesn't quite understand ADHD. We can teach you. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com.
and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.